Uh, today, in uh, the Christian calendar, uh, we celebrate the season of Advent. The next four Sundays, we'll be looking at uh, passages in the Bible that focus on the birth of the Messiah and his purpose in coming to bring redemption and to bring in the kingdom of God. We begin this celebration uh, this Sunday with looking at hope. And that is followed, as you are probably aware, with a look at Bethlehem or prophets. And that is followed by a look at the shepherds and joy. And the fourth Sunday is the Sunday where we look at the Annunciation of uh, the birth of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, as we look at angels. And the last message focuses on, uh, on Christ, as, as all messages should focus on him, but uh, it, it particularly talks about the Christ uh, and his, his main purpose in coming to redeem and to bring in the kingdom. And so this morning I want us to look at hope. I want us to look at the subject, Jesus, our only hope, because he is our only hope. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And for this subject, I want us to look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, and I'll be reading at this time the first seven verses of Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus, our only hope, 
in the context of the passage that was just read in Isaiah, there was a panic all around. You can read about this in chapter 8 even, in verse 11, where there were people all over the land crying out that there was a conspiracy. There was fear. There was dread all over. But the Lord told uh, Ahaz and told uh, him through Isaiah, don't call everything people call conspiracy a conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear or be in dread. And um, Assyria at this time was the threat and everybody was on edge. The Lord had a faithful remnant, however, who were trusting in him. Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, had joined forces and they were attacking Judah in the south because Judah wouldn't join forces. But Ahaz, the king in Judah, was also not doing what he should be doing. He was paying off Assyria to leave them alone. He was trusting in Assyria to protect Judah instead of trusting in the Lord. The Lord wants you faithfully trusting in him and in his word in troubling times. We too are living in uh, panicky times. All kinds of conspiracies and theories and dread and fear. There's an apparent uncertainty in our midst on so many different levels. You can think of the election results. COVID-19, although there seems to thankfully be a vaccine on the horizon, there's still a lot of uncertainty as to what life post-COVID, if there ever will be a post-COVID, will look like. Hopefully there will be. The talk of our liberty in the news every day being threatened, whether it's by Antifa or socialistic groups, racism, identity politics, gentrification, poverty, crime, oppression, sexual revolution, the revamping of public education, church scandals, financial crises, there's so much more. But we live in panicky times. Our health could it be at issue. Our world is ripe for hope. People are looking for something, someone, to hope in. We need hope. And yet there is only one hope. And his name is Jesus. In times like these, where, where do you go? Where do you turn for advice? That's not a rhetorical question. Think about your life. Where do you turn for advice? There's all kinds of talking heads in the world. When something's going on, what channel do you turn on? What station do you go to? 
Who do you listen to? At this time, it says in, in chapter, chapter 8 of Isaiah, that many people were turning to mediums, necromancers, mancers, and, and they were looking to these sort of people who had this kind of mystical ability to uh, divine and find out from, uh, from the dead and, and from spirits what was going on. And there were people actually running after these things. There's so many people in the world today who, who will go to a palm reader. You'd be surprised. People who look for uh, this, this insightfulness. They want to know what's going on. They want to be in the know. They want to be woke. They want to have uh, the inside um, track on things. They want to have some kind of revelation, some kind of dream, some kind of vision. Some people just do their due diligence and read the newspapers because they want to know. And you may fall in that category. But whenever you run to whatever talking head is out there, and if they don't have a commitment to Jesus Christ, and they don't hold on to his worldview, and they're not trusting in his word, they really don't have a clue. They may sound like they do, well, their words might even work for a while, but they don't really have a clue if you don't know how the world actually operates and actually works, what advice to take. Ahaz, as we said, was trusting in Assyria instead of the Lord. He was trusting in uh, Tiglath-Pileser III to protect him and secure him. Who are you trusting in today? You know, nations in this world are all up to something, it seems. There's threats from the East. There's threats from all over the world. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Sometimes we find ourselves as a nation paying for protection from other nations, or other nations seemingly paying us for protection through exporting and importing and sanctions and all sorts of things. But we, and as Christians, we must believe the Lord. You must believe the Lord, and that he has plans for you, plans that are actually good, plans that uphold your well-being. The Lord has plans to give you a future and to give you a hope. And that's what he was communicating to Ahaz. He told Ahaz, ask for a sign. Now, often Jesus said it's a crooked and adulterous generation that looks for a sign, but when God actually tells you to ask for a sign, you're supposed to ask for a sign. But Ahaz, in his hypocrisy, refused to do it. He refused to obey God. And God said, well, I'm going to give you a sign. 
and the sign was of a virgin conceiving and bearing a son. And that son's name would be Emmanuel, that God is with his people, and you don't have to run to other sources for wisdom and for direction and guidance. That's all Ahaz had to do was to call upon the name of the Lord. But he'd rather trust in Assyria, rely on him. The Lord has a future for you. He has a hope for you. And he will deal with the threats against his own. But faith is essential. Without faith, the Bible says, there's no way to please God. God has proven himself. And as we said last week, it takes far more faith to doubt God than it does to believe in God because he has proven himself so often. But the unbelief that, that, that Ahaz was, was showing and that Judah and God's people were showing at this time, their failure to seek the Lord, it led to greater distress, greater gloom, greater suffering, and even, as it says at the end of chapter 8, a despising of the Lord himself, looking contemptuously at the Lord and relying upon oneself. And that just plunged the whole nation into deeper darkness. Trusting in yourself leads to darkness. It doesn't lead to light. Trusting in those who are not trusting in Jesus leads to greater darkness as well. Leads to a hopeless and a helpless situation. Our hope, however, is in the Lord. He has promised to act on your behalf. Now, at this time, Israel would ultimately have to wait for that, as we see in chapter 9, verse 1. He talks about the fact that there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. And he was talking about his people who were um, in the north, that that's where the exile began and that's where the, the healing would begin when the Messiah would come. These are, uh, in this passage in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, it's cast in a tense as if it's already done. Isaiah, when he penned this, he wrote it in, the, uh, in a tense that, that when you read it, it sounds like it's already has taken place already. Well, for us it has taken place, but in his time it hadn't. But he's writing that in that tense to demonstrate the certainty of the hope and the promise that God has given. When God makes a promise, it's as good as done. Because God cannot lie, it's impossible. And you see that uh, in this passage, he talks about this light that's going to be shining. And it's going to be shining on Galilee of all places, Galilee of the Gentiles, uh, the people who were later uh, uh, seen as half-breeds by those in the southern kingdom. Uh, because uh, in the south, they were considered more of the blue bloods of the Jewish people. 
but there was some mixing of the ethnicities up north, and they were looked down upon. But that's where God chose to begin the healing process. That's where Jesus grew up in Nazareth, in Galilee. Of all places, you would think it was in going to be in Jerusalem, where the capital was, but Jerusalem, at the time of Christ's coming, was corrupted by Herod. When Jesus shined the light in this region, as you can read about it in Matthew chapter 4, uh, after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, he went out, uh, to went to Galilee, and he began to shine this light. He began to call people to repentance. If you want light in your life, the light of God, the light of his guidance and direction, if you want that hope, in your life, it begins with repentance, repentance from sin, and following the King, following Jesus, and, and seeking, consecrating yourself to extend His reign, His rule, His kingdom. A call to absolute dedication and divine justice. In order for the world to be better, you've got to respond to Jesus in that way. And of course, his coming to die for your sin and to pay the debt as a ransom to redeem you is the motivation, is the foundation for living in light of this light this way. The land back in Ahaz's time, it became depopulized. The people in the land had disappeared through exile. And you read about this in uh, chapter 7 and 8. You read about how this, how this happened to God's people, and particularly in, in chapter 7, it says in verse 21, In that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. And you think abundance of milk is a good thing, and it, it is a good thing, but but the reason there's an abundance is because there's not an abundance of people. They've been taken out of the land. And you see in the following verses how it talks about in that day, in verse 23 of chapter 7, where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. And this points to the fact that there's no people there to tend to the land. It just becomes overrun with weeds and with bri uh, briars. And so there is this sense in which the people have been taken out of the land. But when this Messiah comes, as it says in chapter 9, uh, verse 3, that uh, the Lord has, will multiply the nation the nation will begin to grow again. Oppression will cease. 
Egypt and Assyria were both fighting for turf. And um, back in the day of Isaiah, but in the day when the Messiah would come, God would multiply his people. He would increase his people, so much so that his tent would not be big enough simply for Jacob. He would have to extend his tent, as it says in Isaiah 49, to include the nations as well, the Gentiles as well. And so not only will there be uh, an increase of the people, but there will be uh, rejoicing four times in in uh, verse 3. It talks about joy or some sort of gladness that will increase and people will rejoice uh, before the Lord as, as they do when the harvest comes in and all of the produce is gathered in. They'll rejoice as when they win the battle and they divide the spoil together. Um, the Lord will receive the joy that he should have been receiving back in the days of Isaiah. He will receive in the days of the Messiah. And Christ's aims are the same for you. Jesus aims to build his church and to increase servants through your labors. God is able to do immeasurably more than anything you ask or imagine according to the power at work in you. God wants to use you to spread the hope that's only found in his servant, Jesus Christ. That's God's method. That's God's way of spreading hope and spreading the kingdom is through those who are presently his servants. And there's a reason for uh, this, um, there's three reasons given in the following verses of chapter 9, uh, verses 4 through, um, through 7. There's three reasons given for this gloomless, glorious, glowing, growing, and glad gladness that God gives. The first reason given in verse 4 is that oppression is broken. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, and broken as in the days of Midian. And you may recall uh, the days of Midian back in um, Judges chapter 6 and 7. Israel was afraid of Midian because Midian was robbing Israel of all her food and all her livelihood. And God chose Gideon. He called him a mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, who, me? Um, he's the most unlikely person from the un most unlikely family. Uh, and he chose him to rescue in a most unlikely way. God chose Gideon, a very fearful person, but God used him. And just 300 people, 300 men, uh, he had a big army, and God said, it's too big. And he reduced the army down to 300 men, and God fought with them and caused Midian to destroy each other. God worked in this man through his weakness, through his vulnerableness, um, 
And God used him to bring about a great defeat of Midian. And God wants to do that with you. You may look at yourself and say, well, who am I? And that's the same thing Gideon said, but God used Gideon mightily because he believed in the Lord. Although he was fearful, he had faith in the Lord. Do you have faith in the Lord today that he will use you to bring hope to other people in this particular context in which we live? God wants to use you. God has placed you specifically at this time for such a time as this. That was said of Esther. It's true of you as well. God wants to use you. God will fight for you. And not only that, but it says in verse uh, chapter 9, verse 5, it says that um, one of the results of the Messiah coming, one of the reasons why people have so much rejoicing and gladness and joy and is because warring, wars will also decrease and often cease. And you see this uh, talked about in chapter 2 of Isaiah. If you turn over there from uh, in verses uh, 3 and 4 of Isaiah chapter 2, uh, you find these, these words. Um, and it talks about the latter days, which are the days of the Messiah. And it says, many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, or teaching, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And this is characteristic, uh, is to be characteristic of life after the Messiah comes. That when we understand the kingdom and understand God's truth properly, we pursue peace. Warring will decrease and often cease at times. Even in this, in chapter 9, verse 5, even the essential attire for, for soldiers will be destroyed by the fire because there's no need. The boots used uh, for trampling and, and the, the, the blood-stained garments stained with the soldier's blood and, and the victim as blood. Um, all these things will be given as fuel for the fire. Because much of what's going on here is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is filling the earth like the waters cover the sea. And how is it that the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? It's through his people. It's through you sharing the hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You're the one who preserves 
the world. You're the one who brings light into the darkness of this world. I've often said, and I, I stand behind it wholeheartedly, that oftentimes the world is so dark because Christians, followers of Jesus, are not walking in the light the way they should. If the only light in the world is not shining, there is no mystery why people walk in darkness. They don't know any other better way. We've got to show them. It's our calling. It's our duty. The chief reason for uh, this light overcoming darkness the chief reason for this unspeakable joy and liberty and empowerment and peace is found in verse 6 and following. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the prophet makes this very specific. For unto us, he makes it very personal. For unto us a child, a son is born. And given. And what's said about this particular child, the first thing that's mentioned is that the government shall be upon his shoulder, which means that this child will have all of the authority and the power that there is. You may recall Jesus saying that all authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. Every knee must bow to him in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. He has been given the power and authority. We saw that a few weeks back as we looked at uh, Psalm chapter 2. All power and authority has been given to Christ. And the reason why that authority was given to him, let, let us never forget, is because of his humiliation. It's because of his meek and lowly heart. It's because of the cross on which he died because he humbled himself like a servant, because he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, the name Lord, that Jesus would be called Lord. That is the reason why he has this power and authority. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we are called to spread that word, the word of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of Christ, that he is reigning. And there are four names given here about this uh, Messiah. Some people say it's five, but it's four. Some people separate wonderful, and as that that's one name, and counselor is another name, but that's um, that's not what the Hebrew says. It actually says he's a wonder of a counselor, literally. And so wonderful counselor go together. That's one name. He's a wonderful counselor. Every single treasure of wisdom and knowledge is found hidden in Jesus Christ. And we are called to search him out and to study Jesus Christ that we would find that, that, that wonder of a counselor, that wisdom. Jesus is called wisdom, and God's wisdom is what, what is needed in this world. You are a necessary addition to this world. People in this world need wisdom. This is God's world. 
And people need to know how to navigate in God's world, God's way, for God's glory. And you can show them that through Jesus Christ. He's the wonderful counselor. And every treasure of wisdom is found in him. Remember how Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, when they were in Babylon, when they were in exile, when they were in a foreign land, seemingly insignificant, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. and He was going to start killing people because he was so troubled by this dream. And Daniel cried out to God. He had the inside track. He prayed to God. And the three Hebrew boys prayed to God. And God gave him wisdom. He was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar exactly what his dream was and exactly what it meant. Don't ever underestimate God's use of you in a context where it seems like you would be most unlikely to succeed, most unlikely to be useful. When you trust in God, when you rely on Him, when you cry out to Him, God uses you in amazing ways that are far beyond your imagination because of your connection to Jesus Christ. Not only that, he's called the mighty God. And again, the emphasis is on his power, his dominion, his authority, his kingdom. Nothing is going to prevent Jesus Christ from accomplishing all his will and purposes. Jesus will uh, conquer always. He will never lose his battles. He came to save, he came to rule, he came to use you. His power is inside of you. Never forget that. His power, his resurrection power, he himself is inside of you, empowering you to live for him. The third name given here is Everlasting Father, and it points to his ability to provide, his ability to care for you, who have no voice or advocate to speak up for you. And that is something he wants to be reflected through you. He wants you to speak up for those who have no voice and to advocate, advocate for those who have no one to speak for them. He wants you to care for those who have been victims of injustices in this world, whatever those injustices might be. And not only that, but Everlasting Father also points to his complete control to transform your life like a potter has over clay. The fourth and final name given here is Prince of Peace. And it points to the only one able to provide for your well-being. Jesus is the only one who can bring peace between God and you, and you and other people. And he wants you to share that hope with others as well, to show others how they can have peace with God. Because ultimately, that's what people need most of all, is to have peace with God. That's the beginning point. And without that, they really have nothing at all. 
and then we need to learn to love one another in this world and show people we the church needs to lead the way in loving people. People should be looking at the church and looking to the church as the example of what it means to love one another. And that seems like a possible tall order, but it really isn't a burdensome thing at all when you consider how Christ has loved you, how God in Jesus Christ has loved you and does love you and will love you forever. He's loved you with an everlasting love. His love is unconditional, but his love conditions you, does it not, to love others. And God wants to use you to that end. And it says something about his peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He pursues our well-being, and we're called to pursue the well-being of other people, whoever they may be. Because really pursuing the well-being of other people is recognizing that they bear the image of God, and they're called to love God and called to reflect God's love towards other people. That's what we're pursuing. We're not pursuing good as it's defined by people, but we're pursuing good as it is defined by God himself. It says about the Messiah that his reign and his peace will forever increase and never cease or decrease. Let me say that again. His reign of peace will forever increase and never cease or decrease. It's a little bit of a redundancy to make the point. But this is what the Lord promised. It is our hope and he will certainly fulfill his promise. This government is characterized not only by peace, but by divine justice. Divine justice, and that's very different from social justice. There's a lot of people out there now advocating for social justice. But social justice is not a godly thing. Divine justice is a godly thing. It's very different. Because divine justice recognizes God as the creator. It recognizes God's law that he has placed upon mankind. It, rec it recognizes uh, the, 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 the love that we're supposed to have. One author emphasized the love of God, the law of God, and the accountability that God calls, uh, with calls us to with respect to his law. But that's what divine justice looks at, and this author went on to explain that social justice has more to do with state-enforced redistribution of wealth and property. It's anti-traditional family. It's inclusion of everything and anything, an affirmation of everything, and it seeks to press the church to affirm and include everything and every nuance of people's understanding of everything. It doesn't have any absolutes, but the fact that there are no absolutes, which is absolutely confused and twisted. It has to do with social justice today, it has to do with Marxism, a system that's already proven to fail. It's like the Robin Hood, no law but my own desires. 
And this peace that the Messiah brings in is not only um, a justice, but it's also about righteousness, which points to you increasingly reflecting God's righteous character in your life. And this begins during the Messiah's earthly ministry, and especially after his resurrection, and it never lets up. This government has been increasing. This Messiah's government has been increasing as more and more people come into the fold. And all of this could only be accomplished by the Lord. No human would ever have thought to do these things. And Jesus wants to use you to extend his kingdom, his justice, his righteousness, which cannot be experienced without recognizing God and his love, his law, his lordship, and how your desire for autonomy is a direct attack on his purposes. That's not the easiest message to share, but it is absolutely positively essential for the peace and for the well-being of humanity. Let the fact that you have been given hope in the coming of Jesus Christ, hope that is your help and your strength, it is an anchor for your soul, this hope that you have in Jesus Christ, think about it, meditate on it, Bask in it, rejoice in it, celebrate it, and let that hope warm your heart afresh and let it move you to enter into people's lives and to impact the culture around you and the people around you with the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of Christ Jesus. It's not meant to be politicized, but it's meant to have an impact on people's lives and on every way they view everything. It's a, it's a holistic world view that's given to them in Christ Jesus. This is God's world and it was created for Jesus. It was created through Jesus and it's created for Jesus. And the only way it operates properly is when it operates for the glory of Christ. And so we have a a job to do. We need to get to work in terms of praying for people and living a life of response to the grace we find in Jesus Christ and sharing that with whoever and everyone we come in contact with. Jesus Christ, our only hope, the only hope of this world, the only hope of the universe, the only hope that exists. God is our hope. And we see that hope in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God bless you and keep you.